Here we are. On this episode of the Dusty Allen Show, I speak with Caitlin Bassett, Australian netball captain, coffee connoisseur, and self-confessed dog lady. We discuss her ever-growing furry family and how she provides a home to training assistance dogs. We cover the hot topics of double standards in dating and what is the most underrated position in netball. She also shares why she deliberately dressed as a boy when she was growing up and how she is now a fierce advocate for all things anti-bullying. She shares what she learned from the leaders in her sport throughout her career and how those learnings show up for her in the at times cutthroat Australian sporting environment. Buckle up, here we go. And now listening to the Dusty Allen Show. Welcome to the Dusty Allen Show. Caitlin Bassett, welcome to the Dusty Allen Show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I feel a little bit special, to be honest. Dusty Allen, he's he's pretty amazing. So thanks for having me. Well, look, we only have the best on this show. And the the thing is, like, I'm, you know, I'm, you're, you're someone who I would call lucky enough to call a friend, but also the I've had some people reach out to me since the show has started go, oh, I want to be on the show. It'll be great. You know, rah, rah, rah which is great and very flattering. And I'm hesitant with some who was like, well, I, we haven't had enough what I would consider good conversations for me to think we'd have some stuff to, that I want to talk about. You know, that's no disrespect to those people, but you and I have had many, many coffees, you know, a couple of cocktails uh, here and there. So we've, we've spoken about a lot of things, but What's yeah. the criteria to be on the Dusty Allen show? Well, I've actually never spoken about this publicly or whilst I've, I've been recording it's kind of like the the mission of this podcast is either to tick three boxes is to inform inspire or entertain so okay. if it does one of those three things it has served its purpose and there'll be some work things we talk about more light-hearted stuff somewhere it's more informative some uh you know more inspiring sort of things it really depends but yeah, and it can go off in any sort of tangent. And the reason why it's called the Dusty Allen Show is I didn't want to pigeonhole into being a niche podcast about a particular thing. Mm. And it gives me the ability to talk about whatever I want to talk about. Yeah. So, you know, and like one of the things being, obviously we're doing this via Zoom now in the age of distancing and border closures and that sort of stuff. And, you know, I can see you've got an elite set up there with your rabbits keeping you company. Rabbit I wasn't... And- and a cat. I've got the cat next to me as well. So, you know, it's, well, it's a big audience today. If, if, well, at least we know we've got like two people listening. Yeah. And yeah. if you hadn't have told me, <laughs> if, if, you, <laughs> if you hadn't have told me that the Ravs, I would have thought it was just a boom mic or a boom <laughs> thing that was actually moving. But, you know, so how many, like how many animals do you actually have in the house at this particular moment? So I'm down one animal which is a little bit sad um, right. as in I lent him out to a teammate of mine during okay. social isolation. So uh, I'm, I've got the cat next to me whose name is Lulu. Um, and I'd like to preface this conversation by saying I named my rabbits after my, or my animals after my favorite things. Oh. So Lulu got named because obviously I love Lululemon. So, I mean, that's a bit of a no brainer there. Um, I, the rabbit that I have on my lap, his name is Jojo from Jojo rabbit. Cause I love that yes. movie. Um, I've got the big bear, the dog, Chino, because of yep. my love of coffee. He's downstairs. 
And I also have an assistance pup that I'm training at the moment. So I didn't get to name her, but her name's Tilly. Yes. Um, but, you know, we affectionately call her Willie. So you can make what you want out of that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I've got one more rabbit who's a giant Flemish. So he's bigger than the cat, basically. And he is staying with one of my teammates, Sarah Clow, at the moment because all her friends left her during social isolation. Um, and she asked me if I if I, she could borrow him. So he's been living at her house for the last month and he is super fat now. So I can't wait to get him back and get him in shape. Is that, do rabbits put weight on quickly? Like how, like they seem, are they what, like- Very oh. piggish, like they love food. So every, for Jojo at the moment, every time I go near the cage or every time I wake up in the morning, oh, here comes the big bear. He's heard us talking. He's going to jump up on the bed now. But every time he, she sees me, he sees me, he'll jump up at the cage for food. So they will eat as much as you give them basically. And if you let them out and give them free range to your home, they will eat your cords and cables as well. So right. So okay. yeah, the, the big bear just came up to join me on the bed. So he's, he's up here now. Chino. Chino. The, now, since I've known you, I've known you've had a, a love for animals and some of my, aside from what I know of you through us being mates, but also what I could Wikipedia prior to us, again, because I'm all about a bit of research to us, so I at least sound like I half know what I'm talking about with certain <laughs> things. Were you, were you, were a, you enjoyed horse riding as a teenager and then so... Okay, with with like the animals, you, I feel like I can call you like a not a crazy dog lady, but you're a dog, you're a dog mum, dog lady. What, what's where's where's the limit going to be? Like, are you going to be always <laughs> adopting or not adopting, but looking like you know, say like training or you know, care dogs that sort of stuff? Yeah. So uh, do you know what? It's okay. Call me a crazy animal lady. Cause that's okay. what I call myself. Um, crazy animal was, lady. Yeah. Crazy animal lady. So I was pretty lucky enough to grow up on five acres of property. So not as big as what you grew up on, but mm -hmm. a fair whack of land. Um, and we had pretty much every animal under the sun. My mum loves pets and animals. So growing up, we had chickens and horses, cats, rabbits, guinea pigs, mice. Uh, we had pretty much everything you can imagine. So for me, I've always grown up around animals and when I started living out of home, I naturally want to continue that trend, but it's really hard when you're living in rentals. So I needed animals that I could hide easily on rent day. So I always had rabbits because you can just pop the rabbits in the car with you and take them down to the cafe or um, the cats, which I rescued. They were rescue cats. I had another one as well. You know, you just pop them in the car and go for a drive around the park until, you know, rent inspection was finished. Um, and that was my main motivation, I guess, to buy my first house was I really, really, really wanted a dog. We had a pet dog when I was very little who unfortunately had to be put down and we mm. never got another one. So I always really wanted to have a dog. Um, and I always dreamed of having a big dog, which is why I have a Bernese mountain dog. Um, because I'm a big girl. So I thought, you know, why not get a dog that makes me look normal size? And um, yeah, I just love them. Like animals are my therapy. Um, I talk to them all the time. I give them cuddles. To be honest, I'd rather hang out with animals over some humans. Um, and I'm more than happy to take them places with me and I spoil them uh, just because, I don't know, like that's what I've always known. I've always treated them like one of the family. I'm obviously not against having animals in bed. I've got three at the moment. So 
Um, and they all get along. They all seem to get along. I think they understand it's not in competition. I don't play favorites, but like the goal for the future is obviously to live on some property again. Um, I would love to have a couple of horses and get back into riding um, and, you know, have a couple more dogs, but basically just give these guys a space that they can run around and just be free and be themselves. And how does it, like, have you ever had animals that don't get along or in, um, in your care and your house who like don't get along and given that you've got varied ones like dogs, or, uh, cats, rabbits, and do you think it's something that you particularly work on to make sure it's like a harmonious home situation? Because it has to be sometimes where they don't, they don't get along, but do, how do you, how do you manage that as far as having such different like animals in, in the house? Because I've, I've seen some situations and you all hear about it, you go to someone's house and they go, Oh, you've got the cat and the dog. They don't really get along. Like I know in my house growing up, cats and dogs amongst other animals, you know, chicks, chickens, uh, ducks, geese, kangaroos, um, when they don't like get along and it's just a thing and they, they never, the, the certain animals never get along and it's just agreed upon in the house. But do you work at it to make sure that it is harmonious? Um, I definitely do. Like I don't just go out on a whim and get animals and think, Oh, everything will be okay. No. I obviously, I try to think about it. I'm pretty lucky that Chino, the dog is, he's five years old now. So he's really relaxed and chilled out and he doesn't have an evil bone in his body. So you know, the rabbit is sitting on him right now and there's no issues. I could trust him. He's not going to bite the rabbit or eat the rabbit. Mm. The cat, um, on the other hand, you know, you've got to keep an eye with the cat and the rabbit um, and the puppy, Tilly, the little pup, the lab puppy at the moment as well. She can't be trusted without being supervised because she's very bitey. So um, for me, yes, I do spend time, um, you know, slowly socializing them, um, especially with the true rabbits now because, they're both boys. Um, so I need to make sure I keep an eye on them and they have like playtime through a fence at the moment. And then eventually when they get, you know, to like each other more, they'll have playtime without the fence and have more free time. But I've been pretty lucky. Like Chino loves the rabbit because basically the rabbit gives him food. The rabbit drops out these little pellets and they are Chino's favorite food. So he just wanders around and follows the rabbits and waits till the little pellets drop out of its bum bum. And it's just perfect because it's like, they clean up after one another. It's it's, it's like a I, circle of life here. I I think you might, could be even like onto something because I don't think you've ever told me that before. Like, no, you said that you know the rabbit poo's easy to clean up, yeah. and you know I've been to enough. Don't have a dog at the moment, but been to enough dog parks where I just see other dogs sniffing the butts, eating the poop, you know, or <laughs> literally like anything and stuff. So that's actually that it's almost like a delicacy for the dog. You know, it's like. Uh, you know, and it's you know that it's going to be like organic, you know, yeah, and like yeah. a vegan sort yeah, of stuff yeah. uh, as well. Yeah, well, the rabbit yeah. just eats veggies and hay, so it's it's the good stuff. It's you know, it's it's nice treats for Chino, and sometimes you know, it's fresh, it's warm. He loves it. So <laughs> now I'm pretty lucky in the fact that they do all get along. There would be issues, um, and to be honest, um, you know, if someone didn't get along, I'd have to seriously think about rehoming someone. But I think. Mm. Like, I'm pretty lucky. I live in a big house at the moment, so they've all got plenty of space. Um, you know, Chino gets lots of exercise. They all get separate attention, so it's not like they're, you know, crying out for attention, even though the dog is trying to sit on me right now. But, yeah, that just is what it is. So, yeah. And when it's, like, bedtime, you said, like, the animals will sleep with you. Do you ever have any concern, I suppose, like not so much with the dog, 
uh, but that you'll smush one of the animals or do they sleep at the end of the bed or they like just move around and do whatever they want or what? Yeah. So um, Chino, the big bear, he sleeps on the end of the bed for a bit and then he'll go elsewhere and there's yep. no way you could smush him. It's actually the opposite. He will smush you in the middle of the night. Right. So that's okay. very nice. And the cat is the other one. So at the moment, the cat likes to sleep under the cover um, and she will get tossed out of bed because I'll roll over in the middle of the night and mm. kick her out and she'll just jump back up. Like she's absolutely fine. So right. yeah, I like having them sleep with me at night time. Um, it's so cute. Like, cause I know the cat in particular, she was a rescue. And when I first got her, she wouldn't let anyone touch her. She hid underneath the couch. She was super timid. So the fact that she jumps up on the bed with me and wants to be cuddled or wants to sleep with me is like a huge respect that she trusts me. And mm. I, I love it. You know, there's nothing better than to have cuddles with an animal. Well, with the fact that, you know, you notice like you a very community focused animal person with, mm. you know, training the train dogs and also like, you know, rescue cats. Do you think that's going to be a big part of your life, say post netball? Yeah. Someone asked me about that the other day because I do have Tilly, the new puppy, and I'm training her for Assistance Dogs Australia. And I really enjoy it. Like she comes with me places and I have a little treat bag and at the shop, she has a little coat and we trot around together and I, you know, treat her and we do training together. And, um, you know, one of the netball girls saw me and they said, you know, that's really cute. Is this something that you want to do in the future? You're really good at it. And to be honest, I don't, um, I mean, I do want to keep doing it on a volunteer basis, but to have it as a job, I think would take a lot of the shine off it. Um, I really enjoy doing it because I love animals and, um, you know, it, it's something extra that I can do outside of sport at the moment. But if it was my full-time job training dogs, I think I would probably, I, I don't know, I'd probably get over it. Um, so I, I like to keep it as a novelty. I enjoy taking Tilly with me and sharing training tips with my teammates who have naughty puppies at the moment. But to be honest, uh, I can't see myself being a full-time dog trainer. I always used to laugh and say, you know, I'd like to be a customs um, or a drug sniffer yeah. dog lady. And to be honest, yeah. I did... I have a sick fascination with true crime and I really, really, really wanted to have like a cadaver dog. I think that would be really cool. But to be honest, uh, I think there's other things that I'd be better off doing and just save the dog stuff for fun. Yeah. It's, it's probably a fine, like I think a, a fine line between like anything, knowing there's something that's like a passion uh, for you and then not sort of making that like work. And well, I suppose there could be like, you know, you would have been well aware of that, you know, playing netball for a, to make a living and, mm. you know, something that obviously you enjoy doing, but also there's the, there's the work element to it uh, as well. So the, have you, are you by far and away, do you have, are you the, the animal guru among in most of your friendship circles? Mm, yeah, probably. Cause most of my friends have babies. So right. <laughs> like, okay. animals are a place uh, in place of babies, obviously, as I'm still playing sport, that's not something that I'm interested in. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, one of my friends just had a baby yesterday and, and two of the others have babies. So they do baby talk and I do animal talk. So they talk yeah. about how the you know, baby kept them up last night. And I say, Oh yeah, I, I know Tilly, the puppy barked all night. You know, I put her mm. in a cage and she still didn't sleep. So it's quite funny. Like, um, yes, like I, I do share tips and tricks and I am up with the animal knowledge and lingo and things like that, but it's only because my friends have babies and I'm not interested in that area of my life. So but saw, animals, my fur babies, here you go. Well, I saw that term fur baby. I saw a, a funny poster or meme the other day where 
someone said, look, everyone's calling their animals fur babies, but, you know, when I called their child and my child a skin dog, you know, <laughs> they, they get like a bit, a bit offended, you know, when you, when you mix it up a little bit. So, I love that. I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Just see how that one goes with the, yeah. with the conversation. Oh, look at your little, little skin dog there and yeah, see how, how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> and now big dogs, because I'm in the process now of I want to get a dog. Yes. And I currently live in an apartment and I want to get a medium size to large dog, like a, a, uh, like Weimarana, Vigla type yeah, situation. You've got a German short head pointer. Oh, cats are fighting. <laughs> I hope we caught that because all I heard was the, yeah. So that's the cats fighting outside. There's a big, there's a big um, mantoon, which is like a giant cat and our yeah. cat and that one fight all the time but yeah you've got a german did you have a german short head pointer growing up or was it a one that's the ones yeah that's uh, i think they're very close like similar the same um yep. but same same look and yes something like that would be great but knowing that i don't have the space to and i've you know chatted to my parents who still have and i said look you'd recommend having some space you know while some at work and and whatnot so yeah, well, and I'm not particularly keen to get like a little dog either. No yeah. offense, they're they're great and all, but probably not what I would uh, I would want. So, um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see how that all how that all pans out. But my a- theory is get a big dog because big dogs are well, in my experience, need less exercise. So I do some pet sitting on the side. And so I just don't have my animals. I look after other people's animals. So I've had a million different types of breeds and Sydney's super expensive to live in. Um, and people think, you know, why do you do this? But it's actually um, quite profitable. Like if you love animals as much as me, you, you're willing to pay good money to have someone look after them when you go mm. away. And I treat them like my family. So, you know, the dogs get all the perks. They sleep inside. They get lots yeah. of walks. You know, they, they get treated like, you know, just exactly how they'd be treated at home. And in my experience, the bigger dogs are better because you know, they, they have one walk or they go for a big walk during the day. And most of the other time they're quite relaxed and they're dopey mm. and lazy. Whereas little dogs are always into things. They need lots of walks. They're high energy. They bark a lot, which could mm. be a problem in a, in an apartment. So yeah, like if I know you like exercise um, and you go out once a day for a walk or to take a dog out for a Absolutely. walk, chuck them in the car, take them down the beach with you. Uh, they're a great conversation starter for big dogs because, you know, people stop me all the time on the street like, wow, like your dog's huge and mm. stuff like that. So I would definitely recommend a big dog. And how do you go with, whilst I'm soliciting advice on uh, on dogs and stuff, how does it go with Chino? He's hairy yes. and does he slobber a little bit as he well? He doesn't. Uh, if you got a St. Bernard, they would be more slobbery. Chino's right. not much of a slobber he's a bernese mountain dog but um he is very hairy so yeah i would okay if if you don't like eating dog hair i mean maybe but he you know apart from that he's the bomb like he doesn't bark he's very relaxed he's super cuddly like he's pretty cool okay well that's that's good to know so i think yeah and i'm I'm tossing up whether to get like a kitten and a puppy like at the same time so then it's like milo and otis sort of vibes and they become become best friends but yeah don't know i'll definitely i'll i'll work on that but this is what you should have done during isolation at the start because then you would have time to watch them and facilitate all this but if you get them and then start going back to work it's just mm. it's not going to work 
Well, then I feel like then it could have been this like attachment thing. So if I go home and then it, like, that, that's just me counter, countering your argument there. But I think I may, my sister gave me some good advice. I may look to foster a dog for a short period of time just to see how all that, uh, that goes as well. So um, yeah, there's yeah. lots of shelters where you can go and take them just for the weekend um, and bring them back. And that's a good way to, you know, try out different breeds or, you know, see, yeah, exactly like you said, see if it is something that fits into your lifestyle because so many people get dogs thinking it's all great and then they end up going away on holidays or they go away every weekend or they work long hours and it's like, well, that's not very fair, is it? So mm. yeah, yeah, it's definitely good to, to try before you buy. You're right. And it would, I, I like your point before saying, given the fact you're a very tall woman and having a small dog would be, <laughs> would kind of exacerbate that. And well, that's, that's something else I'd love to chat to you about. Now you've been, at what point were you, have you always been tall? And when I say tall, like about like how, what, what's your height officially? Yeah. So I am, I'm 194, 195, but yep. you know, uh, which I think equates to about six, four, but I'll tell people I'm six, two, you know? Yep. Um, and I, I reckon I've, yeah, I've always been tall. Like I remember when I was 11, I was, I was always in the back and the middle of like our school photos. Mm. Um, and you know, when I was two, mum told me, if you measure a child when they're two and double it, that's pretty much the height that they're going to grow to. So they knew when I was two that I was going to be pretty tall. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of had a bit of a growth spurt when I was 11 and kept going. And then I've been this tall since oh, about 16 or 17. So yep. yeah, I'm definitely, definitely used to um, sticking out and being tall and being a little bit different. Um, and when I was young, it was really hard, but to be honest, the older I've got, you know, I've gotten used to it. It's water off a duck's back now. And now mm. the hardest thing obviously is finding clothes and tall boys. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I've always been, I've been fascinated by this, this height thing in society, particularly between men and women and like friends who I talk to, like, you know, who, who and like people who are dating and things, because a couple of things to consider here. There's a thing that exists called short man syndrome. Yes. Oh God. I've met many short men. Oh. Syndrome. Yep, yep. And mm -hmm. and it's it's not just a a uh male female thing, it's even amongst blokes. It's like you know, the short guy generally more often than not has ended up being I'm not gonna say the angry guy, but just aggressive, bit, yeah. Yeah, a bit more aggressive, maybe a bit of a chip on the shoulder, just feeling like they've got more things against them, which I think in some ways they potentially do, because there's a having spoken to a lot of my single friends who who date guys they go oh no i can't do anyone who's shorter than me the times that i've spent <laughs> on like dating apps the the subtle subtle nuances is like fyi guys i like to wear heels and i'm you know five ten so you know wink wink nudge nudge if you're shorter than that don't bother you know swiping swiping here and i've always thought and i can i can afford to say this because i'm a I'm average height. Like I'm six foot, good height. That's fine. Not short. Yeah. Oh, I not would tall, say you're tall. You know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're tall. Why is it that girls, like, I don't know what it is, but why is it that girls like tall guys? Is it, uh, I don't know. Like I, well, I suppose in, I don't know, like in, in your case, you're probably, you're exceptionally tall mm. for, for a woman. Whereas I, 
I think it's just that we just don't talk about it enough. Like if it's, because there's some people it's not an issue for. Mm. And even I've, I've picked up like with the colleagues that I work with and most of the time we, no one in our office is wearing heels. It's mm. um, worse in my, I don't know, like a wedge or a little thing. I'm not quite up to date with the ladies' shoes. It's like flats, uh, flip-flops, thongs, or um, and for my American friends, when we say thongs here, that means uh, <laughs> flip-flops. Um, or like and, or running gear. Yeah, yeah, like that sort of thing. Yeah, However, like- when we've had, say, maybe like Christmas parties or functions where we need to dress up, all of a sudden when my female colleagues are wearing heels, it goes from me they're at my eye level and it's a totally shift in a in a dynamic of do you find it intimidating like i to be honest i probably unintentionally intimidate people because men aren't used to looking up to a woman and i don't know like may do you as a male do you find it intimidating meeting someone that's taller than you i wouldn't say intimidating but it's definitely and i mean this in the best way it's like it's confronting when you look someone like in the eye it's different (laughs) and I, I, yeah, I, I can't find the articulate the right word that it is now, but it's confronting in a good way because I feel like you, when you can look at someone as, as an eye level, you're not looking down at someone, you're not looking up mm-hmm. to someone, uh, like physically, I mean, not you know, theoretically looking down, looking up, and looking them in the eye. There's something powerful in that, like holding like a gaze. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but it's definitely, definitely different. And yeah, and like to be honest, the most people that approach me when I'm out is the short man. And I, to be honest, I feel for them because Mm. they're probably being called cute one too many times in their Mm. life. And I'm jealous. I've never been called cute. I don't think you can call a tall woman cute because if anything, we're clumsy, um, gangly and awkward at best. So, you know, they're getting all the compliments that I wish I got and I'm probably getting some of them that they wish they got. But if I had to look at it and go, what would be worse being a short man or a tall woman? I reckon it would be a short man. I mean, I mm. joked to my partner about wearing lifts like Tom Cruise and yep. he's six foot three. So, I mean, he's not <laughs> even short, but I'm still a little bit taller than him. But to be honest, like height has never bothered me. I've mm. never not dated someone because they were shorter than me. Um, I would like someone taller than me. That would be amazing. But as long as you can carry me home, if I've had a few too many drinks or rolled my ankle or something like that at a game mm. of that's all I really care about. Um, I mm. think we do get way too caught up because I know a lot of tall guys who I would never date because they have these inflated egos because they can potentially get any girl they want because all these girls think that tall guys are just the best. Mm. And it's, yeah, I disagree with that highly. Well, I've had some challenging conversations with my friends about what I perceive to be somewhat of a double standard in society mm. with regards to and a space specifically to dating. And I say like, I've never, never had anyone say to me or height's never been an issue for me. Uh, mm. Not a, not a, not a short guy. However, I said to a friend once, I'm like, so just, it just out of curiosity, you know, has the, has the dating app life going? She goes, Oh yeah, you know, ho-hum, whatever. And she goes, just so many dudes lie about their height. I'm like, <laughs> Oh, so you wouldn't go with a guy who's younger, uh, not younger, sorry. Um, uh, who's shorter they go nah couldn't do it and they're open honest about it. and i said i'll put this to you is it a double sense and they, they, they literally put this in their their bio saying i don't date anyone shorter than me or whatever it may be i'm this height you know if you're not that height 
don't mm. bother. Mm. If I was to put something like, well, unless you fit these dimensions, unless your boobs are this big, your waist is this big or whatever, <laughs> I feel like I'd be condemned as that's being very shallow and, and, and judgy. And yeah. I put it to her, I said, is that not the same thing? And she's like, oh, well, yeah. It kind of said, well, there you go. And I wasn't trying to like, make anyone wrong. I just think it's, it's really good food for thought. It is. It is a huge double standard. And I think uh, I laugh with one of my friends who's doing social dating apps and she is rigid on the heart rule. And I keep saying to her, you're passing up on some amazing guys just because Mm. they're not, you know, six, four or whatever height that you deem has to be the magic height for you. Um, But yeah, females definitely lie about what they look like or what their height is. To be honest, I would have never put my heart on those type of things because I reckon you can tell how tall I am from photos that you would yes. put up. But also on social media, Instagram in particular, I get the creepiest messages from men that are like, oh, you're so tall and send me photos of your feet and all this stuff. Oh, so there's, okay. there's clearly guys out there that have like height fetishes and stuff like that. So, I mean, that's a whole different kettle of fish. Being tall on its own is frustrating and hard sometimes but you know when you get those type of things coming at you just like oh dearie me here we go so you know to all those girls out there who have been picky about height like seriously i I just i think it's ridiculous um you could potentially be passing someone awesome up just because yeah you've got some preconceived idea of what they need to look like and i do get it you're attracted Mm. to a certain type of person um but after a while like those things just become I don't know. I just think it's a non-event. Like it's not something you need to worry about in the end. Um, yeah. Like when I met Adrian, my partner, um, if I had have turned him down, you know, just because he was a couple of inches shorter than me, uh, like I would definitely regret it now. So mm. yeah. Bigger, most more important things are what someone's looked like. A hundred percent agree with you. And I still, I can be, I'll say, like say shallow, I suppose at times, like, you know, judging people by how they look. But I have this process now where you talk about judging me on what someone wears, right? And I'd once dated a psychologist, lovely lady, and she said to me, whatever we do, we go into judgment in anything and everything. We can't help it. We do. It's just how long we stay there for and how much we move out of it. Like I used to judge people on how they would dress and feel free to go to my Instagram. You'll see how great I think I am at dressing and probably how sometimes I miss the mark and uh, like people who would wear like sneakers and jeans and very uh, Seinfeld's yep. yep yeah exactly and yep. not just you know I love my sneakers but you know ones that you would actually play tennis or squash in or something and or actually <laughs> run distance in you know and anyway I'd be like yeah and shirt tucked in whatever and I, they'd walk past me people watching is one of my favorite things and then you'd see see this person walk past and I'd be like Oh, here we go, sneakers and jeans. But then I'd be like, that person probably has such a less complicated life than me because they don't appear to be too fussed about mm. what they're wearing. It's practical, mm. so they're probably comfortable. And here I am. It sometimes takes me 10 minutes to get out of the house because I'm like, well, I'm going to put these sneakers on. Then I need to get the socks that match with them and I've got to get the can. It like, literally, it's dumb. It's stupid. And so Maybe I end up envying. sneakers and jeans is like me in the fact that they can't find anything to fit them and they have one pair of sneakers and one pair of jeans and they're their favorite ones and they wear them all the time. Yep. That's, 
That's probably actually. You have too many options. On. Like I can't actually fathom what being a normal size would be like because I'd have no money. I'd go to the shops and be like, "Yeah, that fits me. I'll get that. Yeah, I'll get that. I'll get that. Oh, shoes. Yep, 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 yep. Like, yep. To be able to online shop and be like, "Yep, they've got all my sizes online." It would be disastrous. Absolutely well, disastrous. The it, it goes both ways. So I'm just going to adjust so you can see here. Like, I'm not sure. If you I was can just see. about to ask how because I know you love sneakers. How yeah. many pairs of sneakers you have? Uh. If I just do a... Show me your favourite pair. What's your favourite pair? Now, what's that? Four. So, we've got four. Yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There's about 36 pairs just to my right here. Um, and I've ordered another six pairs uh, in these isolation times uh, yeah. as well. My favourite pair are probably... Oh, hang on. Just give me one second here while I reach and grab those. It's probably my Game of Thrones uh, Ultra Boost pairs. And none of these, like, I, to be honest, like, I'd like to think I'm a baller with the sneakers, but I also can't afford to get, like, the Yeezys and the super yeah. ones where people, like, line up for them and, and those sort of things. But, um, yeah, you've got a few pairs on, on order. But I'm lucky I can wear them for work and I try and blend them into my my attempt at fashion as well. But... Do you, so I'm thinking for someone, we were talking about it before. Well, actually, no, point I was making is it's great. I'm a 10 and a half, US 10 and a half. But then when you want to go get stuff and you go to like sample sales or you go to warehouses or whatever, all of the normal sizes are actually taken and there's nothing, there's only like size 13. And I'm like, who the hell has a size 13 <laughs> shoe? Or, you know, the really small, small sizes. And, I know we've like talked about this before, but what's the is finding pants that are long enough for you? Is that is that so? Like, if you go shopping, mm. you look at things and go, okay, there's only going to be a certain percentage of things that are going to be say long enough for you, like pants that are going to you know get to your ankle or something like that. Yeah, definitely. So. I've learned from a young age that you that shopping is not a fun thing. Um, I remember going shopping with my mum when I was little and coming home in tears because nothing would fit me. Because when you're tall, if you're trying to get length, say, on arms or legs, you mm. end up going up sizes. So then you end oh. up wearing really baggy clothes. So I pretty much dressed as a boy when I was growing up because... I would wear hoodies, I would wear really baggy pants, anything to try and get that length um, and anything to kind of really hide my body. Like I was really self-conscious of the way I looked. So for me, baggy clothes were better because, you know, it was just easier to hide myself that way. Um, but as I've gotten older, I've actually been really blessed to meet some people who make awesome clothes for tall girls and that's given me so much more confidence so one of my friends um she runs it's called height of fashion and she mm -hmm. has brought out these amazing jeans which are super comfy and super long um like onesies which as a tall girl you cannot wear <laughs> like you know um you see girls out and they're wearing these little like play suits or onesies for a tall girl that is like camel toe and wedgie town city. So um, she's got these beautiful onesies that actually fit and dresses that you can wear that aren't inappropriately short. So right. um, I've just been online before because I'm looking for some like oversized jumpers. Like it's getting cold and I want to mm. just be really cozy and comfy and some oversized tees. And at the moment I'm looking at like, tees that are dresses on other girls to wear as an oversized tee for me because an oversized tee for a normal girl is like a small tee for me. So mm. 
yeah, it is challenging, but when I do find something, I, I wear it to bits. Um, and like, I ne- and this is going to sound stupid, but I nearly cried the other day because I'm sponsored by ASICS and I've got a size 12 foot. Okay. So mm-hmm. for a woman, that's, that's pretty big. And when I first started playing netball and growing up, they never made a size 12 in women's. So when I started playing netball, I had to wear like men's joggers or men's runners. And the first year that they started uh, making a size 12 for women's, it was like, I felt special. I I could wear the same shoes that all the other girls in my team were wearing. I felt super confident out on court because I wasn't wearing like, you know, the traditional boys colors are like all black and dark blue, pink and white, which I really loved. And I got these brand new pair. They're called Nova Blast. And I'm, I'm just coming back from a knee injury. So I was able to go running for the first time the other day. And I put these shoes on and I was like, wow, how cool is it to be able to get a beautiful pair of shoes in my size to go out running? This couldn't have happened to me a decade ago. Like it actually could not have happened. So, you know, those small little things, just finding shoes in my size that are, you know, female colored or finding jeans that are long enough that are girls and they actually fit you proper, properly. It means a big deal to me. And um, I do have a lot of clothes. It's because when I find something that fits me, I feel obligated to buy it because, you know, it's few and far between mm. when it comes to finding clothes that fit if you're a tall female. And has that been the case throughout your, you know, say teenage, like adult life, like some of the challenges that the average person won't, you know, uh, know with regards to just like getting clothes, you know, clothes to fit. And given that it's, it's probably majority of the conversations that I've had with female friends of mine, it's actually just more about, you know, the conversation topics are like, oh, they're wanting pants to fit around like your, your waist or this or that. But, you know, with ones being, you know, you actually to make sure that, you know, it covers your, covers, gets, covers your ankle or like for the shoes. Like did, what, what was it like being someone who was above average height, like growing up? Because I know that you're particularly passionate uh, about raising awareness against like bullying in any sort of environment, whether it's school, whether it's sport, that sort of thing. Like what was it like for you growing up in, in that regard? I think because I was so sporty when I was young, it wasn't an issue to start off with because my height was actually a benefit to me. So when I was on the netball court, like people wanted me on their netball team, which was awesome. I was good at running because my legs were longer than everyone else. Um, you know, like I was, I was really sporty. Um, and, and being tall meant, you know, I could play sport with the boys and they kind of accepted me and I was, I was fine about that. It wasn't until, you know, and going back to what we were talking about before that, you know, people started getting interested in boys and dating mm. and clothes that I really just didn't have an avenue to fit in because yeah, boys didn't really like me cause I was kind of like their sporty mate. Plus I was like as tall as them and no one, you know, you didn't want to date someone who was your height. Right. Um, clothes didn't fit me. So I didn't have like the trendy cool clothes. I just used to rock out in sports gear all the time. Um, and, and I think it was just the attention. Like I was embarrassed about my body and the way it looked, but people always made comments about it and always paid attention to it. Um, so for example, I'd catch the train to school and every day on the train to school, someone would either come up and ask how tall I was, or you'd see someone or hear someone whisper about Mm. how long my legs were and things like that. And so those little things, um, they just followed me constantly and it was really hard to ignore. So I was constantly in my own head about how I was different and I didn't look the same as everyone. And 
um, I don't think people really understood what it was like for me because obviously that wasn't happening in their own life. They mm. were you know, normal and fit in and flew under the radar or whatever. Um, so yeah, so that's, I guess, why I kind of, uh, I started becoming really passionate about bullying because for me, people m- might not have thought it as bullying, you know, making comments about my height or, you know, whispering behind my back. But, um, you know, for me, I think, you know, paying attention to someone when they were clearly uncomfortable or calling someone out on things that they weren't comfortable about themselves, I think was naturally just bullying for me. So I used to see it everywhere and I was really highly aware of it. Like I used to see bullying happen all the time. And I used to look at people who were getting bullied and go, I know exactly how you feel. Like you feel uncomfortable. You wish you would disappear. You wish you're invisible. Mm. Um, You know, half the time I wished I was invisible because I, I didn't want people looking at me or what I looked like. So yeah, like I, I guess um, being an athlete now or having a bit of a public profile for me, I think is the perfect um, way to make a stand and try and make some changes. Um, I think when I was young, I didn't really have a voice to stand up for myself and tell people that I was uncomfortable or um, I wasn't happy. And so now that I can kind of put my hand up and say, hey, this stuff happens to me. This is how I felt about it or this is how I feel. And I know that there's other people that feel like that as well has kind of helped me accept things a lot, but also has kind of opened that door for conversation. And um, I have a lot of um, young girls who reach out to me and say, you know, growing up, I hated my body or Mm. um, I'm different from everyone else. How did you deal with it? And I think, you know, when you find out that one other person has dealt with it, it makes you feel like you're normal and you start to fit in with other people. And I think that's, that's a good start. Everyone needs to feel like they can belong and fit in somewhere because you know, that's what humans are all about. We're all about connecting and fitting in and belonging. That's why, you know, teen sport is such an awesome thing. I think you hit the nail on the head there by, it's like twofold. It's having, and whatever it may be, if someone's tall, if they're short or whatever, you know, somewhat different to the mainstream, like two things is encouraging them to know that how to deal with, you know, whether it be like the comments and increasing, I suppose, things have gone digital these days instead of, you know, being like on the on the bus or, or you know, talk behind people's backs. And also, I think it says a lot about the people, like in any situation, it says a lot about the people saying these things and knowing that, you know, and particularly with height, I it's, it's, when there's tall people, I think there's, there's a, it's, I reckon there's a fascination that people have. They don't know what to do when they see someone exceptionally tall. So mm. they just crack a shitty joke like, oh, it's the weather like up there or whatever it may be. And then knowing, you know, informing those people that say you can just actually like you want to say to the person, trust me, the tall person knows that they're tall. They don't yeah. need to be reminded. They're aware. You're aware. Maybe just work on it. You don't need to say anything. And there's like a couple of friends I've, of mine who play AFL footy, exceptionally tall. One was 6'11", and one was seven foot. And I would say to my mates afterwards, I'd say, geez, when I was talking to him, I'm actually so physically aware that I'm talking to someone who's tall because I literally have to bend my neck like I'm looking at the roof, especially Mm -hmm. when you're standing next to him. I said, just find that interesting. And um, the... They, they constantly make me aware. It's like, yep, they don't need to be reminded there, and they're often so so aware that they're anxious about it. They might not say even like for guys as well, like just to stand out that much, particularly if you're an athlete. 
and you want to maybe keep a bit of a lower profile is it's so much harder to do it uh like uh, a mate of mine mason cox who went to the golf last year and he got stopped by i reckon 30 40 people during the day and bless him he spoke to every single person was there for like a selfie that sort of stuff and I said to him, mate, do you get this? He goes, yep. He goes, I get it all the time. And he goes, no, I love it. That's that's fine. You know, we didn't say he loved it, but he he said, look, it's it's what I what I do. And if I have the time, if not, I'll say, hey, look, I can't stop right now. But if you want to jump in front of me and take a selfie, that's great because I've got somewhere to be. And I think whatever it is, people need to to learn that sometimes just think before you maybe speak or have have some observation to share. Yeah, I guess for me, the biggest game changer was. Um actually realizing I can't control what other people are going to do. Like Mm. for me, you know, I'd get up, I'd be feeling good about myself. I'd jump on the train. Someone would come up and say something about my heart and I would crumble and I would, you know, just go back into my shell and feel horrible. But when I actually realized like, um, I I can't afford that. Like Mm. I I say, I've got a big game and I'm feeling good about myself. And then I'm walking into the game and someone makes a comment about my heart or, you know, something like that. Like I actually can't afford that. And so for me, it started realizing that I can't, I can't change what you're going to say. I can't, I can't control what you're going to say, but I can control how I'm going to react. And I might Mm. not like what you're going to say, but I'm not going to let that affect the way that I behave. And that was, you know, it took a lot of, lot of work for me um, to kind of, get past that and go, do you know what? Like just blank what they're saying or yep, smile and nod and then just brush it away straight away because I actually can't afford to let people affect my mood or I can't, I can't afford to let something that I can't control basically um, stop me from being happy or stop me from mm. being comfortable or happy or confident within myself. So, you know, there still are days where, um, you know, bless people's cotton socks. I don't think they realize it's, you know, a little bit offensive to come up to someone and um, make a comment about their height. Um, I liken it to, you know, uh, asking someone who's in a wheelchair directly about, you know, a disability. Like I just Mm. think it's, it's seeing past, it's seeing someone for face value for me. Um, You know, if you came up to me and said, you know, wow, I really like your jacket or, you know, talked about the dog or something like that. I'm 10 times more, um, likely to open up to Mm. you and start a conversation with you whereas if you come up to me and make a comment about my height that's it like I've shut you off in the first two minutes so yeah it is that realization that um, I can't control everything things aren't going to be perfect but um, I can control the way I react and um, that's definitely helped me in a massive way well I'd like I liken that to like you just got to lead yourself to say that stuff doesn't matter people are going to be people can't control it and push yourself in propel yourself forward, particularly when, you, when you've got to perform or you've got to go play netball, go to work, do a task. And I think that's a good segue to, there's a few things I wanted to chat to you and not about like net, netball specific. And one thing people will find as they listen to this podcast and the Dusty Allen show is like, there may be some athletes who come in here. Like, I don't want to know the nitty gritty about netball and this and that not that i'm not interested in it because i love netball but i feel like you get asked those questions a million times and you do a lot of press conferences and that sort of stuff but something that was uh has has been interesting to me is given that you're the captain of your of the australian netball team and there's obviously a lot of responsibility that comes with that and you the in my whole life like the netball team that we've had has been best in the world and you still are you know and it's like gold medals all that sort of stuff and knowing that in 
2018 and 2019, you know, Com Games, World Champs, we were still, I say we, like I was playing. Um, You're an Australian, we, yes. I'm Australian, right. yes. It's <laughs> yes. my team. You know. We, yes. Um, we, the, the Diamonds were, they were silver medalists, which mm. is probably not something that, you know, we, we, you know, that would happen that often. I would, I'm curious to know, as the leader of that team, what sort of things, given that, and all the, the criticism that comes with that, that we're, and I think, and I've read, seen statistics that, you know, in Australia, we have arguably one of the most negative sporting medias in the world. Like how, what sort of things do you work through from a leadership perspective? You're like, right. Okay. When you were with say like your teammates or your supporter, what were some of the things that you took from that as a leader? And the point I'm trying to get to is that, what do you think, how do you think that shaped you as a leader, as a netball, but also as a person? Yeah, look, it's a tough one. Um, let's take it back to Commonwealth games 2018. Um, because I agree with you before, like, um, when I was young growing up and was in the diamonds team before I was captain, we, we won everything. We won gold medals at, you know, world championships. We won Commonwealth games, gold medal. And then all of a sudden, you know, I get elevated to captain and um, we start seeing these silvers. So yeah, it's, it's definitely like, I take it personally, number one, because um, I, like, I just have this innate, um, I guess it's been passed down from tradition before me is that we're a successful team and we're always going to be striving to be the best and um, coming second is just not what we are aiming for. And it's not why we make the sacrifices that we do. Um, I remember walking off the court after that gold medal match, after losing by one goal to England and I kept it together until I got off the court and all the other girls went to the change rooms and I sat down and I, I lost it. Like I, I full on broke down and my physio sat down next to me. She said, what's wrong? Um, and she said, it's okay. You know, like losing's tough and tried to say all the right things. But my mentality was that I was supposed to lead the girls to that gold medal and I'd let them down. Um, and, you know, that weighed really heavily on me that I disappointed the team that I'd let them down because we had been so successful in the past. And I remember walking into the change rooms to join the team and Laura Geitz was there and she was the previous captain of the team and she'd come back, she'd had a baby. And I think for her, you know, stepping away and having a baby really gives you a lot of perspective. And for me, I've never really had a long break. Um, you know, this coronavirus has been the longest break mm, that I've had yep. from this sport. So, you know, for her coming back and playing and, and now having a family, it has given her so much perspective. And she said, guys, like the sun will rise tomorrow. Like we lost by one goal we've had an amazing tournament. Let's not take anything away from it. In the dying seconds of a game, we lost by one goal. Like netball is such a tight game. Mm. It's so fast, you know, one little error here or there. It, it comes down to dying seconds, passes, shots, everything. And to, you know, to, to lose by one goal is gut-wrenching, absolutely gut-wrenching. But at the end of the day, it doesn't define who we are. And, you know, we are still world number one and the way that we conducted ourselves through that entire tournament, I couldn't have been prouder. Like I, I loved every second of it. Um, and so I was, yeah, I was real, I was, I was ashamed to start off with. I went to the closing ceremony. I hid my face and it definitely took a few days for me to realize because we have this culture of success in Australia and we want to win so badly. And when people do win, we celebrate them. And when people don't win, we drag them through the mud or we say what's wrong with them or why didn't mm. they do it? And we blame people. Um, and, and so, you know, the following year we had the world championships, 
Um, and once again, an amazing tournament. We went to Liverpool, obviously after beating us the year before, England was up and about and it was their home World Cup. And um, we get to the final against New Zealand, which people kind of didn't pick. And um, once again, dying seconds and we lose by a goal. Um, it kind of felt like that deja vu again for me. But if I looked back to what happened the year before, the way I dealt with it um, was with so much more perspective. And when yeah. I walked off the court, my first concern was, you know, for my teammates and putting my arms around them and making sure they were okay. Um, you know, I was probably really selfish in 2018 that it was about me and I wanted to win gold and I was the captain and, you know, I was supposed to lead the team. But in 2019, it was more about you know, what we had achieved as a team was pretty bloody amazing. We'd had so many girls retire. We had so many new people, faces in the team who were, you know, playing at this extremely elite level, you know, in a world championship final in front of thousands and thousands of people for the first time. Um, and I was actually just really proud of them. Like I walked away from that, that tour um, with that silver medal and I was just so proud. And, you know, it's so weird. We talk about winning a gold medal, but we never talk about winning a silver medal because obviously mm. in a gold and silver medal match, the gold medal is the winner and the silver medal is the loser. So you always say, you know, you came second and you lost that gold medal match. Like my, you know, thinking after the world championships was that we actually won a silver medal. And if I look around, um, you know, in my suburb and my street in Sydney at the moment, and I look around and say, how many people here have won a world yep. championship silver medal? mate, I'm the only one putting my hand up. You know, you have to kind of look at things from that perspective and journalists that write about it, um, they've never been in that position before. You know, so many people can sit back and say, I would have done this or why didn't they do this? But ultimately, I think, you know, the learnings from those two crushing defeats was that um, to really just focus on the people who um, mattered most to me and the people that mattered most to me were actually my support network and the girls that were out there doing battle with me at the time. Mm. I, I distinctly remember that uh, we I was up at the Gold Coast at the same time and had spoken to a few games a, a few days before the the match. And of all people, my mum texts me after you literally had a microphone and camera stuck in your face, like walking off the court. And I could I could see how upset you were and just said, you know, giving the stock standard sort of like answers and stuff. And I think my mum just sent a you know a screenshot or a photo of the telly with a little you know sad emoji and all that sort of stuff and I said look I've got no idea what you're going through like I've at my level of sport that I've had like country footy or basketball it all it all like matters but then you don't have the whole weight of a nation plus the media just waiting there to sort of say well what went wrong and 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 whatnot and to just have your and certain things you probably can't share so at the time of saying, look, we really don't care what you think right now, what you yeah. think. It's just, it's just, it's still about us. You know, yes, we're representing our country, but there's an internal element where it's like, we just need a bit of our time to, mm. to deal with this. Then we'll come and speak to you and, and answer all your questions as well. And um, yeah, I, I admire the way you went about that. And I think you're dead right. Like the more, maybe it's just me maturing, getting a bit, more easygoing as I get older. Like I love my sport and I watch a lot of it and understand. And I, the only reason I have some sort of understanding is like all I ever wanted at my level of sport was to win a grand final. And I was lucky enough to do that at the end. And then I look back and I chat to my dad about it because I felt like I was always playing in his shadow and they've had success. And I've thought about now that I don't play footy anymore. I look back at the whole thing and there's certain things that 
that were more memorable for me, and it wasn't actually all the winning stuff. Mm-hmm. It was times when we got flogged by 15 goals or we'd play in the most atrocious conditions. Like it's the little things. It's the whole the whole journey, not just one thing or another mm-hmm. thing. And it's not all it's it's cracked up to be. And and I mean no disrespect comparing my level of sport to your level of sport, but that's my way of of relating and making sense of and these sort of things. So yeah, it's I don't and like I say to my mates, like who'd want to be an elite athlete these days? It is ruthless out there with with the the media attention. Just like cancel culture. Someone does something wrong if they don't win. And I wouldn't want to be a high profile athlete for quids these days. It has definitely changed a lot. When I first started playing netball, obviously didn't get a lot of media attention. Mm. Um, so we flew under the radar. You know, we we went about our business and it was great. And I used to think, you know, imagine how cool it would be if you had cameras at the airport when you flew in from flights or, you know, because I always associated that type of attention with money because, you know, if mm. you were an amazing player, like I've been watching the MJ documentaries. Yep. Holy, holy, after he walks off the court there's a billion people there to talk to him and interview him and to me that was success um whereas i quickly realized with those things comes a lot of pressure it's to have a smile on your face all the time it's to sign autographs you know one time at world cup in 2015 in sydney we were staying in homebush which was where we were playing and so to go get a coffee there were fans staying in our hotel and everything. And so one day I had 15 minutes to go get a coffee and come back to the team meeting. Someone asked me for a photo and I said, actually, I can't, I've, I've got to go. Um, and they rang Netball Australia and complained. And so mm. it's things like that, that um, every time you make a decision, you're being judged on it. And sometimes that can get really overwhelming because, you know, you have to actually think about what the consequences are of things that you're doing. And the flip side of that is sometimes, you know, you get, you, if you stay too long to sign autographs after the game, you get yelled at when you come to the change rooms because you didn't come straight back in to do that. So, you know, sometimes it's about, well, I'm trying to please everyone. And at the moment I'm getting told off if I do this or if I don't do this. And um, it can't, becomes a bit of a spiral about, well, who am I actually pleasing and who is this for? And it just becomes, um, it, it becomes, it's not about the game anymore. It's about all those other stuff outside the game that uh, all of a sudden you're being judged on. So, um, yeah, look, as netball's gotten more professional, I've definitely felt the pressure to to act a certain way, to be a certain way, um, which is tough. But um, I think at the end of the day, as long as you're honest and you are authentic to yourself, that's the most important thing. Um, I, I've found over the years that while they would love me to behave a certain way or I get compared to other people, when I'm myself, I'm actually the happiest. And and it's an easy ruse to keep up. You know, it's really hard to try and be someone else. You have to constantly be worrying about what you said last time or what you do. But when you're yourself, you don't actually have to put in a lot of effort. You just, the people that like you, awesome. The people that don't like you, that's fine. I actually don't, I don't really care about those people as harsh as it is to say. If I worried about all the people that didn't like me, I wouldn't get a lot of things done in a day. <laughs> but yeah, it is a lot of pressure these days being an elite athlete. And I think, um, you know, when I see young girls come into the Australian program, for example, I, I, I want to help educate them um, in making sure that they're prepared because you do, you give up a lot of your social life. You, you've got to give up a lot of yourself. You have to share yourself to the fans a lot. You're supposed to be really open and sharing um, sometimes what your personal life is or things that you do outside of your sport. And so you definitely are becoming vulnerable when you open those areas of your life up to other people. But I think you can also learn a lot from those things as well. Um, 
you know, I try and keep things really casual, really light. I'm, I'm more than happy to be self-deprecating. I love to have a laugh. Um, you know, when it comes to, to being serious, I'm definitely not that type of person, but, um, but yeah, I, I guess that's the challenge that um, I've, I've adapted to as, as I've played elite netball for a long time. You're spot on in saying if you're not the, the long at whatever you're doing, if you're worrying about what other people think or say and acting to try and appease them, the one person you'd actually never keep happy is yourself. And you've had those little hollow feelings at the end of the day. It's like, I just want to be me. And yes, you need to, within reason, obviously, but I think there's being there's a big shift where we are more understanding that athletes, you know, big sporting culture in Australia, they're, they're human too. And I'm particularly, I get frustrated when, you see, and I don't watch a lot of the the main. I try, I've been trying to avoid a lot of the news these days, where you see an elite athlete has done something wrong, and I'm like, well, last time I checked, they're human just like me, you know. And yet we know there's a double standard that comes with, you know, in the in the the elite sports, there's a different standard of living that comes, you know, more often than not, there's uh, there's events, there's incomes and things, but they're just they're just humans, and we we often put i think people whether it be artists actors singers athletes on these pedestals that they don't necessarily need to be on you know there's many people like there's a lot of athletes who are amazing role models there's some who aren't there's a lot of normal people who are amazing role models there's also some who aren't and that's something that i try and really encourage to you know I, i have nephews you know and say to them that's the that's the way it needs to it needs to be and look for look for these you know heroes and, and inspirational people around the place wherever you are you know volunteers coaches those sort of things not necessarily people who we who we put up on the, on these pedestals yeah and i think like it's a bit of a contradiction saying this because i am an athlete but i i agree with you i think we put the wrong people up on pedestals just because mm. you kick a ball or jump really high or run really fast how does that um i guess make you better than you know, someone who volunteers or, you know, a doctor or a nurse and things like yep. that. I think, um, yeah, like it's a really weird concept how in society we decided that these people are the ones that are elite and everyone else we treat normal. And yeah, I, I would like to see a shift in that and a change in that. And um, yeah, it, it is, I guess it's really interesting about who, who it is that we put up on pedestals, but I think it's definitely important to realize that we do have a perfectionist, um, you know, culture in our society mm. and that we want everything to be perfect. You know, you open Instagram and people have filtered their life. They're only showing you their highlights real. Everything looks perfect. Um, and it's to compare themselves against other people who are doing exactly the same thing. So yeah, I think when people make a mistake and media is more than happy to jump on it because it's like saying, ha ha, look, you show that you're perfect, but you're actually not. And it, yep. it, you know, it's, it, to me, I think, um, you know, just being, just being yourself and um, not getting caught up with trying to be perfect. I think it, it's a huge waste of energy at times um, mm. when you keep putting that energy into so many other better things. So yeah, it, it is a tough one. I feel for kids these days, young kids who are looking for role models or for parents who are trying to, um, you know, find a, a sport or a, um, you know, an area of life to, you know, their kids want to get into and um, finding good role models, I think is hard because um, you just, because it's thrust upon you doesn't mean you're going to be a good one. And I think, unfortunately, 
if you're getting paid the big bucks, you do have a responsibility to be doing the right thing, um, mm. especially on face value. Um, you know, it's the integrity thing. It's for the integrity of your sport. And I'd like to say that I'm proud of netball. Um, you know, over our years, we've, we've kind of, we've not really had any major scandals or things mm. like that. Um, I think number one, you know, we're obviously, we are getting well paid now, but in the past we never had the money. So we always had to work hard. Um, and we were pretty grounded as people because, you know, when you go to training and then you go to a job or you work all day and then go on the weekend to play a game and come back, you know, to look after a family, it, it kind of, it doesn't give you time to muck around or to, mm. to go out drinking and partying. But, um, as more money comes into the sport, I really want to see, um, to us, you know, to keep that ideal that we have that, you know, you be a good member of the community. You, you do something outside of sport to keep yourself mentally healthy. Um, you give back, um, you know, lots of us got to this place through the hard work of volunteers or people giving us opportunities. So I see it as a big circle and, um, for the next group coming through, they rely on us to give back and, and to keep it going. Yep. Yeah. You're so right. And it's, it's refreshing to, to hear that. And I suppose you've, you've got the experience having been, you know, highest of highs in, as far as the career goes and starting from the bottom and particularly say like in a small market in WA, you know, with the, with the Perth Orioles and actually like side note, when you played for the Orioles, yes? Yes. At the time, you know, there was some furor around, not furor, uh, around the naming of it, like, you know, the fact that it wasn't like an Australian bird. Like, was it hard to kind of get pumped up for like, yeah, well, Orioles and stuff? No, you know? because I was 16 at the time. So I was just stoked to be there. Like, <laughs> that was my first year in elite sport. And that's really where I learned so much because I had older girls that showed me the way. And I can't imagine what it would be like rocking up to training and and I, I don't know what it's like in, in male sport, but like, you know, they're comparing their flashy cars or they're wearing super expensive jewellery. Like you think about what must happen over in the States with some mm. of the pays that they're getting. And, um, you know, we would talk about what we we're going to cook for dinner or maybe, yeah. you know, you know, that type of thing. Like I was obsessed with cupcakes when I first started playing netball because when we went on away trips, I couldn't afford to go out shopping like the rest of the girls. So I went and got a cupcake instead. Yeah. So, you know, it just baffles me to think, um, or actually it would just be really interesting to be a young rookie in that environment and see how you're going to turn out. Because I think ultimately you always behave like your elders and you always look up to those um, who are above you. And I was just really lucky that I had people above me that were, you know, hardworking. One of mm. them was a policewoman. One of them was working in insurance full-time, you know, they all had full-time jobs um, and they, you know, expected me to continue studying and work hard as well. So it just was what it was. Yeah. Shock, horror, elite athletes talk about normal stuff when I they're know, training. Right? You know? Yeah. yeah. The, well, another question I've got for you, netball related, what do you think is the most important position on the netball court? we have this fight all the time. I want to, I always say what's the hardest position on the netball mm. court. I always think it's wing defense or goal defense because you're generally matched up against the fastest person out on court. Like a specialist wing attack is the fastest person. So you have to chase them around and tag them around all day. Basically your yep. job is to try and create intercept opportunities for the goal defense and the goalkeeper. So you do all the work and they get all the glory. So I definitely think it's one of those positions. I think uh, you have to be extremely aerobically fit. You have to be smart. You have to have good attacking skills as well because you've got to bring the ball out of defense into the attacking end. So, 
yeah, there was never any chance I was going to be a decent defender because although I was tall, I was never very mobile. And I think to be a good defender these days, you have to be able to move. You've got to be able to get around the body. You've got to be able to get up. You've got to be athletic. So yeah, I think one of those positions. I rate that because I can relate to that. <laughs> Footy, uh, well, my mixed netball career. I had won a couple of flags, a couple of yep. mixed netball ones, and very much appreciate how hard a game that is to play and transferred that to my uh, amateur footy career, finished, you know, playing like fullback. So it's, you know, what do they say? Back six, get the yeah. chicks. What yeah. do we do to make ourselves feel better? But yeah. what, what's the, or another thing, good friend of mine, and she's a huge fan of the Dusty Allen show, Jenna McClure. Do you know Jenna? I know Jenna. So she used to play for the Perth Orioles. Oh, yes. I, I think I've got her, her netball card somewhere in the, uh, the archives. So yes. She grew up in Katanning, is that right? Or Kendon up, so she'll she'll be she'll give you a smack on the hand for saying uh, Katanning, but Kendon up, uh, some real good uh, good athletes come from down that way. Your your Nikki and Aaron Sandlands, uh, oh, yeah. and your Jenna McClure's, yep. your Mike Allen's. That's my dad, and there's probably a few that I'm missing. But yeah, she always said to me that she goes dust like wing defence, 100% most underrated and yep. important position on a netball court and hardest to play. Yeah, and that's the position that no kid wants to play. Like, it's yep. not a glamorous position. So when they're handing out bibs at, you know, net set go, everyone wants to play centre. They want to play goal attack. Like, they're the flashy positions. No one wants to play wing defence. In fact, if you don't have enough people on your netball team and you have to play with six, the position you want to play <laughs> out is the wing defence, which is ridiculous. But my theory then goes, if you are a great wing defence, you are set for life because yep. you pretty much just own the court all the time. And, like, mm -hmm. I grew up playing with some amazing wing defences um, and they were in the best position really because once they nailed that position, they pretty much had a lockdown. Like they weren't going to get taken off court basically. So, I mean, there, there's two sides to it. Yep. Well, I've said to my lady years playing footy as full back, it ain't sexy. And the coach, I played one good game there and the coach like, you idiot. He's like, I'm never going to take you out of there. And I was like, hey, there's good job security in playing the non-sexy positions in sports, you know, because yeah. you're, you're never going never gonna to get dragged. So... <laughs> And like my theory on say like a full back and a full forward, which is very similar to say a goalkeeper and a goal shooting mm. netball, you kind of have time to process things because you watch the ball coming down. Yes. So that gives you time to maneuver. Like I love playing goal shooter, number one, because it's the only position I can play. And number two, because I find that um, I just adapt. So like, you know, perfect play. We want the ball to come through the middle. Oh, it doesn't come through the middle. So I've got to get around and get in another position mm. to help make it work for the team. Like I feel like in the end, you have to be really smart. You have to be really adaptable and thinking on your feet because the ball comes down to you and you're in the wrong position. You've actually had a lot of time to look where you need to be or to set up or where to come out to draw players and things like that. So I think, you know, those type of positions, they're all, they're all. Yeah, correct. Got to, so, got to yeah. think your way, think your way yeah. through it. And yeah. why, like I had a mate who a very good footballer I played with. He actually was really handy at netball. He made like the WA state team. Like what's a go with men's netball in Australia that you know of? Is it like decent comps? You know, how does that, what's up with so men's netball? Are, yeah, in some states they do have good comps. I think WA has like a men's competition. Yep. Um, Sydney definitely does. I went down and commentated the final of the men's oh, yes. competition last year, which was awesome. Um, we have a men's Australian team. They're called the Sonics. Uh, oh, and, I yeah, didn't know that. There's yeah. a little nugget. Yeah. We play against them. So when we're doing um, tournaments and um, things for the Australian Diamonds, we'll often get them in to play against us because they're very challenging. They can run yeah. really fast and jump really high and make our life a living hell basically 
Um, but I think it can be better. Like, mm. uh, you know, I, I'm good friends with a lot of the male netballers and I get frustrated for them at times because they are just as good as us. They, you know, deserve a competition. But um, like you said before, like, I think it's a little bit unsexy, like men playing netball, you know, traditionally mm. they go play basketball or football or and things like that. So I think, you know, if it was on TV, kind of like women's AFL, if it's going to be there, people will watch it. Yes. Like sport, especially at the moment. Yeah, that probably wouldn't be. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd watch, watch, and yeah. I think I was watching bloody Swedish harness racing about six uh-huh. weeks ago or something. May have had a bit of a punt uh, on there, but we definitely don't uh, uh, discriminate with the sports we watch here on no. the Dusty Allen show. Now, to wrap things up, I want to ask you, where do you, what's Caitlin Bassett going to be doing in 10 years from now? Uh, It's a tough one. 10 years from now, I reckon I will have finally finished my university degree. So So what are you studying? I'm doing broadcast and journalism and taken me 10 years so far. And I've got two more units to go. So it's very slow and hard to do because I'm actually doing it through my Perth university. So that does make life a bit challenging. Hmm. Um, I can hear Tina coming upstairs. Tina B, come here. Um, then what else? I'm going to have a little hobby farm where I'll have some animals, like big Clydesdale that I'll yep. use to ride every day. Um, do you know what, to be honest, I reckon I'll be doing something, helping other people. I won't be coaching netball. I definitely won't be playing netball in 10 years time, but I'd like to think that I'm going to be involved in a program or an organization that helps others in some way. Um, Yeah. Like I would really like to do that. Have you heard of the resilience project? I have. Yes. So uh, Hugh from the resilience project came out and talked to us before world cup um, many, many years ago. And since then we kept in contact. I do his book. So every night I go through my little journal and I write down the answers, you know, what went well for you today? What am I most looking forward to tomorrow? I'm a big believer in um, mindfulness and gratitude. Um, so I'd love to do something with them um, and maybe work on some of their programs with them. Cause I know they're doing some pretty amazing things through different sporting organizations. So yeah, that would be the ultimate, I think just helping other people um, potentially doing some media, working in broadcast, um, you know, maybe have the Seabass and Dusty show on Channel Look, 10. Absolutely. On, you know, Saturday <laughs> night where we discuss sport and pieces. But yeah, I think um, I'm never going to have like a nine to five job. I can't really foresee that. Um, I'd love just to do a few different things because I, I like to do so many different things. That's amazing. Like, first and foremost, the Seabass and Dusty show, I can see it now. That's going to work. And yeah, very, it sounds great. You know, like the hobby farm, bit of land, all the animals you need, that sort of stuff. Sounds very, uh, very you. So I'd love to open a cafe, you know, that type of stuff. Oh, of course. Coffee. So yeah. I can't believe we actually haven't talked about coffee, but that could probably be a whole nother, know, another right. episode. Yeah. yeah. That's all right. Well, Caitlin Bassett, thank you very much for joining me on the Dusty Allen Show. Appreciate your time and also bringing the animals onto it as well. I hope that uh, that cat fight, which has probably been a first for a podcast, having a cat fight on the with between two cats. But did thank- you please put that as the intro, like intro, like so people think that there's like a cat fight, like oh, Caitlin's fighting with another girl on. Uh- yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, that'll be yeah, real hook. You know, we just give a bit of misinformation at the start, but Dusty yeah. Allen Show featuring a live cat fight. Yeah, cat fight. Tune in. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, thank you very much. And uh, I wish you all the best and look forward to uh, seeing you uh, back in action on the court very soon. My pleasure, Dusty Allen. Thanks for having me. 